We all know my beautiful wife, she is a, an incredible preaching gift. And uh, I say, whenever you've got a word, tell me. But I, I know that for her, it's, it's never taken lightly. She's literally spent the whole week in the cave, um, preparing and praying. So I know, and honestly, what you speak on today, I know is a word from the Father. 100%. I think it's a prophetic word for our church. I think we need to listen with open hearts, open ears, take notes. Let this thing change you. Let let's repentance come into our heart because I really feel that this is from the Father. So let me pray for you. Father, I thank you for start. I thank you for the gift that is on your life. Lord God, I pray that this morning that uh, you administer to, to our hearts so deeply, Lord Jesus. Would you anoint him in the precious name of Jesus. Amen. Thank you. I just want to put that picture up, please, Jenny. Nice to see everyone. I'll greet you all later afterwards. Thank you. This magnificent building, who knows what it is? Who knows what it is? It is the Colonia Cathedral. It has about 20,000 visitors a day. Construction started in 1248. The grand opening was in 1880. 632 years. It's got nothing to do with my preach. I'm just saying this warehouse has taken six months. (laughs) Putting it all into perspective. Ten generations were willing to just not see the end. But they handed it over, they worked hard, and they carried the vision in their hearts. 632 years, people walk in and out now. The people of today, the generation of today, don't have that endurance, don't have that perseverance that they did then. The word that I want to bring today actually was birthed out of a holiday, um, an emergency holiday. I was not coping. I was, it was just, eventually it was getting to me, the pressures of this warehouse. Everything, every little thing is a battle. Um, the door handle, that took, what, six weeks to put on? Last night they put on, so let's rejoice about that door handle. <laughs> but eventually, the many little things start to get to you. The heat started to get to me. 52 degrees. I've loved summer. Been in Dubai for seven years. Loved summer. Until you labor in summer. I have a new love and respect for laborers. Then our car window stopped working. And so the heat just came in. And there was no escape. And we couldn't hand in our car because we had to make sure that this place was running. And then we came home and then our home heater wasn't working. They call it a heater. It felt like a heater. The AC wasn't working at home, and we didn't have time to fix it because, I mean, someone had to be at the house, but we had to be at the warehouse to sort this place out. And so I, I was just going crazy. I just eventually, six weeks of laboring, make the decision. And then I had a fight with the contractor, and the contractor hung up on me, and Dan said, you are leaving tomorrow. You are going. You are on a plane. You are going to your family. That's it. And um, went on to a family. Uh, felt very sorry for myself on holiday. My parents were pampering me, loving every moment of it. Then went to, Dan joined me later, went to Belito, but the whole time, thank God, I need love. I need refreshment. I need a word from you. I need something that's going to lift my spirits. I need, 
I just need something. Just speak to me. Silence. Nothing. Anyways, go to Belito. Belito is a coastal town in South Africa. Beautiful, green, sugarcane fields. And we went to visit... Um, it's a couple that is our age, and they did a church there. And um, his father owned that property, and so gave this massive property to him as an inheritance. And so he's got this 10 million rand building on this sugarcane field with a population of like 100 people and, and there's cushion, comfortable cushioned chairs and it's just the temperature is just perfect and I just sat there drinking the coffee that they had just built in the little coffee shop and thinking I'm retiring <laughs> I'm officially retiring that's it, not going back to the bar I can't cope I can't cope anymore, this, it's the challenges everything, and so in my head, and I was actually being serious we laugh about it but in my, my thoughts, in my thinking, I am saying, I am just going to come. I am going to build a small house here where the population is 50. And I'm going to sit in these comfortable chairs. And everything is just going to happen for me. And, and that, what is, the, what is the point of all these battles? What is the point of all of this? And why did I have to get picked to have an, an obstacle every day? And so I was just wallowing in self-pity. And then we went to, uh, on the second last day. We had, a, um, had an extended family barbecue and I started to share with her my challenges and all the obstacles. And then she said to me, yeah, actually my, my cousin's just come back. She's in ministry. She's just, she's just given up. She, uh, she said she was tired of fighting. And then I was like, keep quiet. And I thought of Jesus when he was going to the cross when he needed to go to the cross for our sins. And Peter said, I pulled, it's, the Bible says Peter pulled Jesus aside and said, I forbid it, Lord, that you go. I forbid it that you go and suffer. And Jesus said, get behind me, Satan, for you are not thinking of God. You are thinking in human mind. And I realized as I was sitting, and God will use someone who is disillusioned, disappointed, and discouraged from her own experience to stop me from walking into what God wants for me. And so I changed the subject, and as I was in the car, I heard the first word that God spoke into my heart, and he spoke it very clearly and very firmly, and he said, do not retreat. And I thought, that's not a loving word. That's an official military term, do not retreat, which actually means Withdrawal, withdrawal, pulling back of troops from a battlefield. And so in my mind and in my behavior and in my speech, I was retreating. When we came back to Dubai, I heard on the radio, just the normal radio things, there is a getaway in Ajman. There is a weekend trip in Fajera. There is a... Um, 900 dirhams and you have a spa in Rasakhema. And I just thought, isn't that the culture of Dubai? Run away, get away, escape. Isn't that um, the culture of the city? Just, just realities over summer, we escape. So that's one thing. That's one thing if that is the culture of the city. But make sure that that culture doesn't creep into your spiritual life. Where you start to retreat and run away from God. God doesn't go on holiday in the summer. There's still a battle. And you may not say, well, I don't, want to, I don't want to embark on a battle. Actually, the enemy's already initiated battle. And we're in a battle whether we like it or not. The spirit of Babylon. If we look at the spirit of Babylon in Scripture, 
It had two things. When you look for the signs of the spirit of Babylon, it had pride and it had a lust of the flesh. Lust, worldly um, lust. And so does this sound like a city familiar to you? Genesis 11.4 Then they said, Come, let us build ourselves a city with a tower that reaches to the heavens so that we may make a name for ourselves. Some translations say so that we may be famous. A city famous for a tall tower. Worldly and lustful pleasures. Revelation 17, verse 3 to 5. The woman was dressed in purple and scarlet and was glittering with gold, precious stones and pearls. She held a golden cup and in her hand filled with abominable things and the filth of her adulteries. Genesis 11, verse 5. So the Lord came down to look at the city and the tower the people were building. Look, he said, the people are united and they all speak the same language. After this, nothing they set out to do would be impossible for them. And so even God acknowledges that when there is a city that is speaking the same language and an agreement, nothing will be impossible. So what is the agreement? Are we agreeing with the city? In what way are we agreeing and partaking in what this city represents? Pride and worldly pleasures. And then what God is saying is, come away from her, my people. Do not take part in her sins. And so his desire for this church is for this church to speak one language and to be united and to be in an opposite spirit to what this city represents. Because God is raising up a church that needs to look different to what Dubai looks like so that we can reach Dubai. First point, do not retreat in your passion. You know, people say, I'm just not feeling it. Matthew 24 verse 10 says, And many will turn away from me and betray and hate each other. And many false prophets will appear and will deceive many. Sin will be rampant everywhere and the love of many will grow cold. God's warning us. That is what the signs of time are going to be. The love of many will grow cold. Love without commitment is not love. I can't say, Dan, I love you, but I'm not committed to you. The two don't go hand in hand. You love God, you're committed to Him. You love your wife, you love your husband, you're committed to them. You love your church, you're committed to the church. Consider the Lord's words to the church in Revelations, where He says, Revelations 3, 15 to 16, I know all the things you do, that you are neither hot nor cold. I wish that you were one or the other, but since you are like lukewarm water, neither hot nor cold, I will spit you out of my mouth. I'm sorry, but I can't handle a lukewarm coffee. Don't give me a lukewarm coffee, give me a hot coffee. And don't give me lukewarm water, give me cold water. I spit it out. God's saying that He's wanting our passion to be one or the other, not this mediocre, average existence. Hebrews 12 29, for our God is an all consuming fire, He's a devouring fire. And so a cold heart is actually someone who is not spending time with the all-consuming fire. Someone who has drifted away. Your Christianity is only as real as your love is. 
What is the greatest commandment? And you must love the Lord your God with all your heart, all your soul, all your mind, and all your strength. The second is equally important. Love your neighbor as yourself, and no other commandments is greater than these. I just see God's heart in the scripture. I think it's amazing because when the things of the world desire all of your love, it desires all of you. Your job, your work, desires all of your heart. The city desires all of you. But when you pursue God, God says, I love you. But equally as important, love others. Love people. And church is an amazing place to demonstrate that love for others. You know, some people's attitude is just me and Jesus. It's just me and Jesus. That's great. But if you get to know Jesus, Jesus' heart beats for people. How do we become a thriving community? It's by coming to church and loving one another. I think it's amazing that Lloyd and Lauren have brought their baby here when AC units aren't quite fixed. It's not comfortable, but they are committed to community, to giving love and to, and to receiving love. Love is a passion for oneness. That makes sense. If you want to be with someone, you want to be one with them, if you love them. If Jesus is eternally praying for our oneness, then we must recognize that the enemy is continually fighting against it. Fighting against our passion for and oneness with Jesus and with each other and in our marriages and in our families. Passion means intense enthusiasm. And enthusiasm comes from two Greek words, on, which means in, and theos, which means God. So in God. So when God's presence is in us, we become passionate. We can't do it on our own. We need God's presence to sustain us and fire the passion. Passion is the fuel that keeps our Christianity going. If I don't have passion, why bother? I honestly don't know why people come to church who aren't passionate. Is it, is it out of guilt? Is it out of loyalty? Is it out of fear of the future? What is it? Because it has to be out of a relationship with Jesus that you can genuinely feel a passion. There are passion slayers. What are passion slayers? I'll tell you. There are negative circumstances, fear, failure, unmet expectations, relational strife, weariness, opposition, hopelessness, bitterness. Bitterness is a lack of love. Do you know what bitterness is? It's unfulfilled revenge. Hebrews 12, watch out that no poisonous root of bitterness grows up to trouble you, corrupting many. You can see the bitter person because they corrupt the people around them. Disappointment. Many Christians have fallen away because of disappointment. And don't underestimate the power of disappointment. It's not just, you know, well, it's just an emotion of sadness. It's actually, you can be disappointed from your destiny that God has for you. You are no longer appointed because you've walked away. Your heart's grown cold, and you've allowed that disappointment to take root in your heart for whatever reason, and you are hiding behind that. Above all else, guard your heart. Everything you do flows from it. Guarding, again, in military term. Don't protect your heart. It's guarded. Stand guard. Protect your heart. Don't open it up for all vile things to, to, to take root. When you find it difficult, just, just be humble. Just be real with God. God, struggling, don't have passion. I don't have passion. Can you help me? A humble prayer. And He will start to burn in you. And you'll start to put fire in your heart. 
Second point, do not retreat because of your past. It's been said that those events which we remember the most have shaped us the most. So the reasons why our natural minds cannot forget certain incidents is because it's actually become, it's forged the very part of our nature. If the memories that you're remembering are rejection moments, then you are going to carry rejection in your nature. If there's memories of your dad keep on saying to you, I'm proud of you, I love you, then that is going to be part of your nature. You're going to be a secure person. And so think about those things, because the most um, events which we remember have shaped us the most. But for some of those people, some of your past is irreversible. But you can change your attitude and reaction to that thing that happened. We cannot alter the past, but we can put our past upon the altar. The enemy may have sought to destroy you through abandonment and abuse, but God rescues you to make you a rescuer. Luke 9, verse 62, But Jesus told him, Anyone who puts a hand to the plow and then looks back is not fit for the kingdom of God. And we know that with Sodom. Sodom was a city that was so filled with sin that God burnt it up with burning sulfur. And they said, Don't turn away. Don't look behind you. Lot ran. He just kept looking, kept looking ahead. His wife turned around. To back to her past and she was burnt up in an instant and that's what happens is when we look back to our past maybe there's the memories the longings I want to be back there I want to be there some good memories you know that's that the enemy will only let you remember the good memories the good old days but actually once you turn around you're enslaved and you you burn up protect your souls but I focus on this one thing forgetting the past and looking forward to what lies ahead in Revelation, the Bible say, says Satan deceives the whole world and accuses the children of God day and night. Satan lies about your future and he accuses you about your past. And that is his tactics. Ask yourself, what must I leave behind in order to serve God with my whole life? Suzanne, can I use you for an illustration, please? One thing I do, forgetting what is behind and straining towards what is ahead, I press on towards the goal to win the prize for which God has called me heavenward in Christ Jesus. So this is Suzanne. I want to use you because I haven't seen you in a few months. It's good to see you. Um, I've just read the scripture. Forgetting what is behind and straining towards what is ahead, I press on towards the goal to win the prize. So I want you to run like you are wanting to win the prize. But unfortunately... won't let go of your past. <laughs> and unfortunately, rejection. You have to put this on. You're carrying rejection from your past and you just can't, you can't shake it off. <laughs> unforgiveness. You have got so much unforgiveness you just won't let it go. And then you're entangled in sin. A <laughs> command that goes out on scripture, and Jesus says, Run the race that I've laid out for you. Run it like you're going to win. 
<laughs> okay. So, so now, it's okay. Just hold on. I'm not getting very far. We must ask ourselves, are the things oppressing us today the harvest of what we planted yesterday? And Hebrews 12.1 says, let us throw off, throw it off, throw off everything that hinders and the sin that so easily entangles and let us run with perseverance the race that is marked out for us. Now you can do a run. Now that you are free. <laughs> the thing is, is that you will continue to run. So I want you to remember that visually. I want you, when you're reading those scriptures, to see that we need to let it go. We need to let it go, those things that are holding us back. Next point. Do not retreat in your pain. Psalm 84, verse 5 to 7. What joy for those whose strength comes from the Lord, who have set their minds on a pilgrimage. When they walk through the valley of weeping, it will become a place of refreshing springs. The autumn rains will clothe it with blessings, and they will continue to grow stronger, and each of them will appear before God. And this is what's amazing. It doesn't say camp in your pain. It says walk through your pain. Keep walking. Keep persevering. Keep pushing through. You haven't failed unless you stop. Keep picking yourself up. You know what the amazing thing is? And when I ask God for strength, it's amazing. When I ask God for strength, He softens my heart. How does that work? Scripture says, and will continue to grow stronger and stronger. We are not strong as the world knows strong. Strong is independent. Hard-hearted, in control, it is stubborn, I can do it on my own, I don't need anyone. I saw in the news we had Queen Bee Beyonce on the VMAs with a big thing saying feminist. Very dangerous. Very, very dangerous spirit around the world today. I don't need men, I don't need anyone, I don't need God, I just need me. I am self-satisfied. And there's nothing like pain to show that you are not actually in control. And when I ask God for strength, He softens my heart. And, and I'm actually, I'm like, God, this is not helping. I'm actually feeling very weak and vulnerable right now. And God is saying, in your weakness, I am strong. I want to read the scripture with you. So it's a long portion of scripture, but I want us to open up our hearts. Hebrews 12, verse 5. And have you forgotten the encouraging words God spoke to you as his children? He said, my child, don't make light of the Lord's discipline. And don't give up when he corrects you. For the Lord disciplines those he loves. And he punishes each one he accepts as his child. As you endure this divine discipline, remember that God is treating you as his own children. Who ever heard of a child who was never disciplined by its father? If God doesn't discipline you as he does all of his children, it means that you are illegitimate and not really his children at all. Since we respected our earthly fathers who disciplined us, shouldn't we submit even more to the disciplines of the father of our spirits and live forever? For our earthly fathers disciplined us for a few years 
doing the best they knew how. But God's discipline is always good for us, so that we might share in His holiness. No discipline is enjoyable, right? No discipline is enjoyable while it's happening. It is painful. But afterwards, there will be a peaceful harvest of right living for those who are trained in this way. So take a new grip with your tired hands and strengthen your weak knees. Mark out a straight path for your feet so that those who are weak and lame will not fail but become strong. Parents, surely you can respect this text. We all love well-disciplined children. We love them. Come to our house, you well-disciplined children. Come. The couches will still be neat. There will not be craziness. We can't keep protecting our children. That's what mothers do, okay? They protect father's discipline. And so we are serving a God who disciplines us. And it is for eternity. And it is for our goodness. And something, sometimes he allows things to happen to us for our discipline. But I've got such a loving father when I read that text. I, I didn't get any sort of abuse or pain. It's still, it is still Satan who comes to rob, steal, and destroy. It's God who loves because he wants us to become Christ-like. God's love is not a pampering love, but it's a perfecting love. God is forming our character. And you know Jesus set a pattern for us. He had an amazing life on earth, Jesus. He had thousands worshipping him. He had um, miracles and signs and wonders. But he also suffered. So why do we think that we are not going to go through and experience suffering? That we are just, no matter how much you serve, you're still going to go through suffering. No matter who you are and what stature you are, you're still going to go through suffering. Because Jesus set the example. He refines and tests and shapes you. God still loves you even though you're suffering. And there's, there's a theology, I don't know, there's like a belief system out there, which is weird for me, that, um, you know, um, favor equals a promotion or favor equals a first class upgrade. Favor. I'm experiencing favor. Okay, so, so when, you, when you're not favor, what does that look like? So suffering is not favor from God. God loves you whether you've got a first class upgrade or whether you've got no food that week and you're suffering or whether you're being beheaded like Iraq and there are Christians putting their trust in God. God loves you. He loves you. Not because in what it does, it messes with your mind. It says, okay, so God, when you give me something, you love me. When you don't give me something, you don't love me. We've got to mature as believers. We've got to mature in our faith. This is, re- this is real life. Don't just come to Jesus and then everything just prospers. It doesn't work like that. This is real life. And as we on this journey, God helps you overcome these things. That is the miracle of life. That is the miracle of this relationship with Jesus. He is our strength. We don't do it alone. God is in control, even when our faith is weak. Does that mean that God is shaken by our weak faith? Goodness me if that was the case. Because my faith is weak often. God is not shaken by my weak faith. He remains the same yesterday, today, and forever. 
God is training. Untested faith is fragile. And God is training us for battle and our hands for war. He is a father and not a mother. Jesus says many times in Scripture, take courage. Everything God tells us to do at some point will require us to stand against impossible odds and to, to take courage in that moment. Be strong and let your heart take courage, all who hope in the Lord. Be strong and courageous. Do not be afraid. For the Lord your God is the one who goes with you. He will not fail you or forsake you. And have I not commanded you, be strong and courageous. Life shrinks and expands in proportion to one's courage. Barnabas was a man who was known for encouraging. So what is discouragement? Discouragement is taking the courage out of a person. Encouragement is putting courage into a person. Okay? Very simple. We want to be known as a church, as an encouraging church. I want this church, when they walk through the door, you know what, I was praying for you this week, and I want to have an encouraging word for you. Putting courage back into the person. You know, don't think, oh no, it's just going to get to the head. You know, let's just, you know, just teach them lessons. No, we're going to encourage and encourage because there's enough out there, out of these four walls, that's discouraging. There's enough about life that you've got the enemy discouraging you constantly. So let's be an encouraging people. And I want to honor people who've encouraged me. Carolyn. Tammy encouraged me this week. My husband encouraged me this week. Encouraging is a weapon. Just like discouragement is a weapon. Discouragement calls people to fall away. There are people that should be here today. They're carrying bitterness and discouragement in their heart and they're falling away. Encouragement puts courage back into people to get back onto this journey so that we can be strong believers and that we can overcome. Courage kicks self-pity out of the bed. And you know what I learned? No one understands you more than self-pity. But no one loves you more than Jesus. Last point, do not retreat, but persevere. You need to persevere so that when you have done the will of God, you will receive what He has promised. As long as you persevere, you win. The book of Revelation mentions the word perseverance seven times. Perseverance, what word is in perseverance? Severe, intense times. We need to persevere through times, and these are the end times, so we are just going to get, there are going to be more challenges that we are needing to persevere. Every building plan will take longer than you think. Every virtue will take a year, not a weekend, to be truly worked out in us. It may take a generation for some of our loved ones to be saved. If things happen quicker, that's great, we'll rejoice rejoice with you. But sometimes we think that the easiest of breakthroughs That we just expect the easiest of breakthroughs. But sometimes it's only manifested with time and tears. And sometimes we lose patience, just wanting relief, but not actually victory. We all know the story of David and Goliath. We love that story. Dan loves that story. He used to dress himself up as David, right? I've heard him preaching that in his little sling. I've heard the story and he loved it and he was David. And David was this young boy who just came out and saw the giant and just... Nailed him one shot and there he's dead. We just love that story because it's just, wow, one obstacle and it's just so easy. Just so easy. But we all start out that way, right, in the beginning of the journey. It's just going to be so easy. You know, 
I remember when God spoke to us about um, having this warehouse in April 2013. He says, you're going to be given a warehouse. There will be obstacles. I didn't hear about the obstacles. We're going to get a warehouse. Woohoo! You know, and then it was, I'm like, okay, God, when I'm going to, oh, I look back at the words, oh, you did say that there would be obstacles. Okay, but you didn't mention every day. And you didn't mention a few times a day. You didn't mention it may turn us crazy. But he also said, you're going to have a warehouse. There are going to be obstacles, but you will overcome them. And so everything in life, we are made to be overcomers. We don't even know what the future holds, but we are going to be right there in our afterlife, overcoming, conquering, because of the lessons and the battles that we fought here. To Samuel. So now David is older. He says he's older. So what he does is, did you know this? Once again, the Philistines were at war with Israel. And when David and his men were in the thick of battle, David became weak and exhausted. Ishvi Benob was a descendant of the giants. His bronze spearhead weighed more than seven pounds and he was armed with a new sword. He had cornered David and was about to kill him. So now it's like, no, but wait a second, I killed you. I've already dealt with you. I've already sorted you out. Now I see there are descendants of Goliath. There are sons and grandchildren that I'm now fighting. So don't think, for, for those of you who say, no, but I, I just, these battles keep coming. The battles are going to continue to keep coming. And we're going to continue to have to slay them. And it might be double and triple, but it's God's building strength and resistance in us. And in the end, actually, David was so tired and weary, and he needed a team to come and kill the giant for him. The living God who helped you conquer Goliath will empower you to overcome the son of Goliath as well. Satan always tells you to give up, and Jesus always tells you to keep going. Rugby player. I've got three minutes here, sticking to the time. There is always a fight with the enemy. If you are on a team and you're wanting to score a goal, do you think they are going to put wimps against you? They're not. They're going to get their biggest, strongest, most, most intimidating people to stop you. And when they tackle you, they're not going to just touch your little ankle. They are going to, until you can't breathe, until you actually say no, and you, whatever. So the whole thing, might break the analogy, the enemy is not going to just do a wimpy job at trying to stop you from finishing the race. He is going to send up everything big, bad, and ugly, and intimidating, and fearful to stop you from running the race. And so imagine if God saved us and protected us all the time from everything. We wouldn't be strong enough to fight the enemy. The enemy, and I want you to listen to this, will not continue to assault you in the circumstances if the circumstances he designed to destroy you are now working to perfect you. Let us not lose heart in doing good, for in due time we will reap if we do not grow weary. I'm very thankful for Dan for persevering for me for five years. I'm very thankful that we persevered in planting this church. I am very thankful that we've persevered in the last year of moving from venue to venue 14 times until God has placed us here. It wasn't easy, but who said it would be? Perseverance. Because now, God is going to increase. He is going to add. He is going to do those things. When are we going to get? We're going to see people saved. Out of hell. Their souls saved. 
You think it's not going to come with opposition. We need to be united. We need to be united. We need to be standing together. We need to be encouraging. And we need to be worshiping God. God, we just thank you for everything you've done for us. We thank you. We know that today, even standing on this ground, even standing on this ground was a victory. We've been shoved into that small little room, but we have decided that we won't retreat. We will not back away. We will not back away. We want all that you have for us. And each one of us on a journey, and we know that you are forging Christ's likeness inside of us, And so in our pain, we will not camp there. We will not befriend self-pity, but we will befriend courage because we know it takes courage and we take the Holy Spirit to finish the race. I pray, Lord God, for those that have walked through a season of weeping, that they would start to see hope, that they would start to see life, that you would take them by the hand, that you would lead them through. You would lead them through. Worship the Lord.